Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Luke. The Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 9. The Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 9. Now the Gospel record of Luke chapter 9 has been a fulfilled chapter. There is a lot going on. And in this chapter, Jesus Christ has really spent a lot of time on his disciples. If you think about this, that in the early part of the chapter, he gave them power to go out and to cast out demons, to cast out diseases. And he sent them out to preach the gospel and gave them instructions. They traveled for a while and came back and reported. And they heard about uh, from each other things that went on. Then Jesus Christ decided to take them away and the multitudes found them and they had the miracle of the feeding of the five thousands which again he was teaching his disciples how to organize the efforts and how to uh, have faith that God can supply all the needs and then after that Jesus Christ tried to instruct them a little bit more about what was going to happen and about being a follower of him then he took Peter James and John and took them out to the mountain and there he was transfigured and Peter, James and John saw historical Moses and historical Elijah and saw them talking with Jesus. And what an amazing thing that was. And then they came back down and saw a crowd that was hostile and saw as the other disciples had failed to cast out a demon from a man whose boy was plagued with it. And Jesus cast him out and he taught him a lesson. So all of Luke chapter 9 has just been working with the disciples over and over and over, training them, preparing them. And they've been growing in grace. They started off not knowing anything and Jesus has been instructing them, instructing them. And now after two years, now into the third year, they're now mature enough to handle some things. But now as they're hitting a stage of growth, we could see that there's some things that need to be taken care of within their life. And we now see as Jesus is pointing out to it specifically in the gospel record of Luke chapter number 9. And notice with me in number 46. The gospel record of Luke chapter number 9 starting at verse 46. Then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be greatest? And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him, and said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. And John answered and said, Master... We saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him, because he followeth not with us. And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. 
And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he straight uh, steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face and they went and entered into a village of Samar the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord... Will thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and to consume them even as Elias did? And he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye, <coughs> ye are. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark two phrases that we're going to put together in the gospel record of Luke chapter 9. The gospel record of Luke chapter 9 in verse number 56. Notice the phrase where it deals with the, for the Son of Man. And notice we see another prepositional phrase in between it. But notice the continuation. The Son of Man is to come to save lives. The Son of Man is to come to save lives. And with this, we want to see as Jesus Christ is trying to instruct his disciples and he gives this reminder to them, the Son of Man has come to save lives. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, we're asking that your Bible would come alive and that it would speak to us. I'm praying that we would all be convicted by your word for the purpose that we would turn towards you and that we would examine ourselves to make sure that we're as right with you as we possibly can be. I'm asking that you would give us liberty, that you would give us grace, that you would give us victory. I'm asking that your word would be alive and powerful as it ever is to specifically do a work in our lives tonight. Thank you for those that are here. Thank you for those that will listen later. Thank you so much for your word. Do your own work now. In Jesus' name, amen. Flesh is an awful thing. Our flesh is always wanting to justify itself. It always wants to prove itself that it was right in the first place. It wants to justify its actions. Flesh wants to prove to others that we're better. It loves to show others that we're better. That's our flesh. Our flesh has already decided that if someone does something different than us, it must be wrong. That's our flesh. And the disciples have their flesh. And we're going to see that, that their flesh is being exposed now. That as they've been getting victories, they've been following the Lord, they've been seeing things, and now their flesh is rearing up. And their flesh has to be dealt with if they're going to be useful for the Lord's manner. And the flesh has to be exposed and that's what happens. Sometimes God allows circumstances in our life just to expose our flesh to prove, yeah, you still got flesh. Oh, there it is. It needs to be taken care of. Because if it wasn't pointed out, we would ignore our flesh and pretend it didn't exist. But we come into these circumstances where God allows our flesh to be fully exposed. And sometimes the exposure isn't from our own look. Sometimes it's the Word of God that exposes our flesh. And compared to our behavior next to the Word of God, we start to say, you know, that was flesh, it wasn't spirit. 
as Jesus is continuing to work with the disciples to bring them to themselves, he is now trying to work with their flesh. Now, the type of flesh the disciples are working with is coming from pride. The Bible says knowledge puffeth up. The more knowledge that we're able to have in the Bible about Christ or about any other subject, it usually puffs us up full of pride. And it causes us to believe that we're better than those around us because of the knowledge that we hold. The Bible is very clear, knowledge puffeth up. In three different occasions in Luke chapter 9, the Bible documents the disciples' flesh bubbling up and coming to the surface and needing to be dealt with. If you don't mind, as we learn these lessons, let's see here and we find out that the Son of Man did not come to make us greater than others. The Son of Man did not come to make us greater than others. In the Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 9, we start with verse, verse number 46 when it says, There arose a reasoning among them. Remember the them is the disciples. There arose a reasoning among the disciples. Which of them, the disciples, should be the greatest? Now remember the context. It was just a matter of time, maybe even the night before, where Peter, James, and John went with Jesus to go up to the mountain. The rest of the disciples were left behind. And so this could have been the catalyst where someone was starting to say, well, you know, Jesus didn't bring you. He brought me. There's a reason for that. And they started talking among themselves. And an argument broke out. The Bible talks about in a different passage that there was a disputation between them. They disputed among themselves. Here it speaks about reasoning. In fact, that word reasoning is a very important word. It carries the idea of from an inward thinking and a pondering, personal pondering. So what that means is that this is something they had been thinking about for a while. Inside of themselves. Well, I'm greater. I'm better than you. Well, I'm better than you. And I'm better than you. And they've been thinking about this for a while and all they needed was some catalyst to bring up these thoughts to the surface. Maybe it was Peter. <laughs> Guys, you should have seen it. Oh, I know that God, Jesus put you down there. But let me tell you, you'll never see a sight like that. We saw Jesus transfigured. We talked to historical Moses. We talked to historical Elijah. Boys, you missed it. And he brought me. I know he brought Peter, or James and John, but he, he brought me could have been something as simple as that. If you have enough people with pride, do you think they're going to respond properly to someone with pride like that? No, they're becoming... Well, the only reason why he took you is because he couldn't trust to leave you alone. And they started disputing among themselves, talking among themselves, talking about who is going to be the greatest. Instead of looking about how big Jesus is and how great his power was, the important subject on their mind was who is going to be the greatest. The word greatest is a very important word. It comes with the same word that we get our word mega. Mega. Who's going to be the mega man? Who's going to be the mega person? The greatest who was the mega man? Now notice in verse 47, Jesus perceiving the thoughts of their heart. You know Jesus knew what was in their heart. 
You know, even if he didn't say anything, that should still make us pause that Jesus knows what's in our heart. And he knows our pride and he knows our problems. He knew what was in their heart. And he knew their motivations. Knew why they were saying this. Jesus knows when someone needs to be the mega man. And Jesus knows the person who needs all the attention. Jesus knows who it is who hogs all the conversation. Jesus knows who has to have their way. Or if they don't have their way, they're going to take their ball and go home. Jesus knows who that person is. He knows that person and their motivations. He knows who is arrogant on the outside. And by the way, he also knows who's arrogant on the inside that tries to hide it on the outside. He knows. Jesus tried to teach the disciples that their argument was based off a wrong premise. And so in order to do this, he gives an illustration. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse 47. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him. Now, this is one of those things that we need to get to the Middle Eastern mind. This is a 2,000-year-old book, and there's a different way of thinking. Jesus Christ pulls this child and sets him right next to him. Now, remember, many of the disciples were big burly men. Remember, Peter, that when they caught that fish, they had 146 fish, and that all the disciples had a hard time, and it was put in the boat, and then Peter went and just picked it up and carried it. These are burly men, big men. And here's a small little child who looks tiny next to these big guys. Now, in the times of the Bible, children under 12 years old were considered nobodies. They were considered expendable. They considered they had no rights. They were considered to be the lowest people in all of society. In fact, most of the region believed that children that young were just burdens. And so when Jesus, now get this, when Jesus took this little child and he put him right next to Jesus, Jesus is placing the child in a place of honor and compassion. And so the disciples are arguing who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus takes a nobody. The lowest of society. And puts him next to him. And says boys. Get this. Notice what Jesus says to them in verse 48. And he said unto them. Whosoever shall receive this child. Now this nobody. This lowest of society. This one that's rejected. The one that's passed over. The one that people don't think of any value. Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me. Jesus is saying. Whosoever shall receive this child. Shall receive Christ. Meaning that don't, he's not saying be like the child. He's saying whoever is going to take the least of them and bring them to this position, that's the one that's going to be the greatest. The greatest of them is the one who's willing to be the servant to the weak. That's the opposite of what they want and expect it. Most people, when they think about leadership, they're thinking about how many people is going to serve them. How many people is going to work for them? Jesus is saying, what you should be doing is how many people can you serve? That's the one that's the greatest. The one that can find the most people to serve. And the ones that are the least deserving to serve. And the ones who are looked down upon them. Will you serve them? You know, 
<laughs> with that child in the Middle Eastern mind, that child can do nothing for me. Now, I could take the mayor of the city and I could do something for him. He's going to do something for me back. There's a quick pro quo. I could be nice to someone and serve someone if they're going to help me out later on. If they're going to make me look better. If they're going to give me the better hotel. If they're going to give me a better rate. If they're going to get the better press. If they're going to... I could easily serve someone in that capacity. No problem. But can you serve someone who could do nothing for you? No benefit whatsoever. You're not going to get anything from them. You're not going to get any status. No applause. No benefits. Can you serve that person? And make that your goal? You see, they had the wrong idea. I want to be greater. I want to be in a place where everyone applauds me. I want to see my name in lights. I want the attaboy. I want everyone to applaud when I walk into a room. In fact, I want entrance music when I walk in. So everyone knows who I am. And that was the wrong view. The greatest is the one who's willing to take the nobodies. And serve them. The people that can't do anything for you. And serve them. And serve as many of them as possible. That's the greatest. Jesus is trying to get to them. The idea. Their flesh was rebelling. But Jesus did not come to make us greater than someone else. Notice something else as Jesus is working with his disciples. Not only did the Son of Man not come to make us greater than someone else, the Son of Man didn't come to make us better than others. Jesus didn't come to make us better than others. So another incident occurs, verse number 49. <coughs> Excuse me. In verse number 49, And John answered and said, Master... We saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him, because he followeth not with us. So Jesus, I did you a favor. I happened to see some guys casting out a demon, and they said in Jesus' name, but you didn't train them, and you didn't call them, so we told them, you better not do that anymore. And Jesus, I'm, I'm coming to let you know I did you a favor. Well, I didn't do him Jesus a favor. Jesus said to him, forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. So the disciples have ordered this man to stop serving God. And they're bragging on him. Let me remind you that there's no group that has an exclusive hold on the truth. God is able to use different people in different ways. There may be some groups that may have more light than others. But there are other groups that are more obedient to the light they have. God can use all kinds of different people and different ways. I was in a chaplain meeting today talking with someone and he's not necessarily of our stripe. But I'm thankful for him because he's doing a good work and reaching people. And he has the gospel and he's trying to reach people at the gospel. And he may not do things exactly like we do. But I'm thankful he's doing those things. He's out there trying to reach the best he knows how with the light that he has. Should I tell them, no, if you don't do it our way, you'd better... We're going to be very limited in trying to get things done. Amen. But that comes to the idea of pride. Let me tell you something. We as Christians are not better than anyone else. We're different than other people, but we're not better. We have in our mind of some idea of pride 
that if people don't do things the exact way we think they should be done, that they're wrong. I'm thankful for experiences. Excuse the personal illustration. One of my internships was an all-black church. In fact, we were the only white family there. And they loved it. They said, oh, look, we're breaking ground here. This is the only church of a black church that has a white pastor and leader, or white uh, preacher in leadership. We're the only one in this region. Amen. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. Great. Great. And it was different. They get a little bit more excited than we do. And uh, they shout a little bit more than we do. And they sing a little bit louder than we do. But does that make them wrong? No. Not at all. They're just different. And just because they're different doesn't mean that they're wrong. And we've got to get that in our mind that just because someone does something differently doesn't mean it's wrong. I use PowerPoints from time to time. There's some people that would preach against me for using PowerPoints. How dare he put this stuff up there? How oh, people are going to get used to looking at scriptures up on there and they're not going to use their Bible. How many times in the PowerPoints I want you to look in your Bible? All right? So we're not doing anything evil or wicked or dangerous. <gasps> I move our... During Thanksgiving, I move our men week service to Tuesday. <gasps> oh no! The... Does that mean the world's going to cave in and the world's going to be sucked out and God's going to write anathema on the church? Just because someone does things different doesn't mean it's wrong. I have pastor friends of mine that they have a Sunday morning service and then they have food and then they have an afternoon service and they're done by three. Hey, it's great for them. It's not what we do. I like to have it that as we're trying to reach people, we live in a society now that they party all night Saturday and they can't make it to church on Sunday, unsaved people. What happens if we could bring them on Sunday night? Is that acceptable? Yes. yes. That's why I like having a Sunday night service because we get visitors that come in on Sunday night that could not, for some reason or another, come Sunday morning. What happens if someone's working? I don't want to rob their whole Sunday if they're able to come in. So we understand they do things differently. Am I going to yell at them for doing it wrong? Oh, you're just... We have to be careful. Just because someone does things different. Now, we can't be unbiblical. We understand that. But there is a lot of room to do things differently. As long as it's not illegal, immoral, or unbiblical. Let them be, right? Praise the Lord. We can <laughs> let them do different things. So we have to understand that. But we get full of pride that if they don't do things the exact way, the exact way I think it should be, it's wrong. Why? That's pride. By the way, we all do that. It doesn't have to be the Bible. It could be your job. This is how we've always done it here. You dare to do it differently? Oh! It doesn't... I want to tell a joke about Air Force policy and how it got, but I'm not going to right now. But <laughs> just because it's different doesn't mean it's wrong. In fact, we've got enough people against us that if they're not against us, let's not bother them. Amen. We've got enough problems as it is, enough people against us. We don't have to go swat at every hornet's nest just to see if anything's there. Amen. We've got enough things going on. There's something else that we see here. The Son of Man did not come to make us greater than others. The Son of Man didn't come to make us better than others. And the Son of Man didn't come so we can destroy others. The Son of Man didn't come so we can destroy others. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 51. 
And it came to pass when the time was come. Now this is going to be a change. From this point on, Jesus is now gunning, aiming, directing towards Jerusalem. This is the turn. All the way up to this time, this has been the Capernaum ministry, the Galilean ministry. But now he is starting to make his last march towards Jerusalem. And so it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. He is going to be changing his direction. He is now going to make this final journey. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans. Now, this is important here. The Samaritans were the classic enemies of the Hebrew people. In fact, most of the time, the Jewish people would go all the way around the Jordan River to get from the Judea area to Galilee, or Galilee to Judea, when, and they would avoid taking the direct route of Samaritans because they had such a hatred towards them. There was an animosity towards them. And he here as Jesus Christ is going to Jerusalem, he's not going the roundabout way. He's now going through Samaria. And so he says, all right, as we get to this village, boys, go to see if we could get some lodging here. Go see if we could get a place prepared for them. But instead of a warm welcome, notice in verse 53, and they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. So what happened is that they got the door slammed in their face. And there's something about that that sets up our pride. The doors are slammed in our face and they were going on behalf of Jesus. And now because of rejection of their Lord, that's the emphasis, their Lord, they want Jesus to do something. Now, notice who it is that says this. James and John, the beloved disciples. The sons of thunder are now showing why they're the sons of thunder. Now, let's not give them too much of a hard time. Notice they didn't try to do it on their own. They went to Jesus to ask permission. Lord, without that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did. Notice they had biblical precedent. Elias did this. Elijah did this. So, all right. God, they rejected you. Are you going to show who you are? We'll, we'll pray down fire for you if you just give us the word. We'll pray down fire. And we'll show them not to mess with you. Well, they, they were expecting, hey, look, Jesus, we're standing up from you. We want you to acknowledge that we're on your side. You know, so often we get to the place where we think that Jesus needs to be on our side. One of my favorite illustrations is when at the... Uh, Battle of Jericho, before it happened, Joshua was standing by himself in the field preparing. And a rider comes out, captain of the host comes out. And Joshua gets his sword and says, whose side are you on? Theirs or mine? And the rider said, I'm captain of the Lord's host. Basically, he said, I'm Jesus. And Joshua said, never mind, I'm on your side. So often we try to get Jesus to be on our side. I can't tell you how many family squabbles I got that have the idea that if they get more people on their side, it's going to win the argument. So, hey, you know what? These people believe like we do and, and, and tell them that they're wrong and, uh, and they start getting more people. It's not the idea of might. But we get this idea that if we can get Jesus on our side, we'll prove all of them. That's pride. Jesus is not trying to be on our side. We need to go to his side. But how? They've offended my God. And now I got to stick up for them. So, you know, I'm going to show these people not to mess with my Jesus. And so they're ready to go. 
Notice what Jesus said to them in verse 55. But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not of what manner of spirit you are. He said, be careful. You don't even recognize the pride that's pouring out of you right now. You don't recognize that you're not in the spirit of Christ. You're in your own flesh. It's the wrong spirit. By the way, that wrong spirit's very important. Do you know I could preach the me- a message in the wrong spirit? I could preach the word of God. I could preach it correctly, but I could have the wrong spirit. I could go door knocking in the wrong spirit. I could read my Bible in the wrong spirit. We have to be careful. What spirit are we on? The spirit of Christ. Notice Jesus taught him a couple lessons dealing with this. First of all, don't give up on people. Don't give up on people. Now, one of the reasons why they're so eager to rain down fire is because of those Samaritans. If it was the Jewish people, they wouldn't have asked. But now it's the Samaritans, our enemies. Oh, we're going to show them. God, bring down fire. How many people, how many times in your own flesh have you wanted fire to rain down in Washington, D.C.? Or Madison? Or some liberal? Or some person who disagrees with you? Or someone who has a different point of view with you? And you say, oh God, this is your chance. Oh, look at them now. Oh, come on, God. Let's rain down fire. And Jesus said, it's the wrong spirit. Don't give up on people. God is not willing that any shall perish, but all shall come to repentance. Even those people who seem to be against us right now. Even those people that seem to have a different point of view of us now. Jesus wanted those Samaritans saved. And if he burned them up, there was no chance for them to get saved. We need to be careful. Jesus is saying, don't give up on people. Another lesson that he taught the disciples is that when you're rejected, you can't take it personally. One of the reasons why people have a hard time door knocking is because they're afraid that the people are going to reject them. They are not rejecting you, they're rejecting Christ. But we take it personally. And because we take it personally, there are some people who won't go. There are some people who have the wrong spirit. There are some people who just don't enjoy the soul winning because they're afraid they're going to reject me. They're going to be mean to me. They don't really care about the Lord or it's not on their mind. They're going to affect me. They're going to yell at me. They're not going to like me. We all want to be liked. But here he's saying, when you're rejected, don't take it personally. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Christ. If you have to take it personally with every slight, you will not survive the Christian life. Because the old adage is, is that when you don't like the messenger, message, tech the messenger. And if you're proclaiming the truth, you're going to be giving a message that sometimes people don't want. And they're going to attack the messenger. You can't take it personally. Or you will not survive long without getting bitterness. What's another lesson? Take stock of your spirit. Now remember, it wasn't that they were angry. They weren't. We just don't want to have a bitter or vengeful spirit. We're to have the spirit of Christ. Be careful of your spirit. Take watch over it. It doesn't take long for your flesh to get in charge if you're not paying attention. Guard your spirit. Watch it. And then... Notice at the end of verse 56, there's another lesson. For the Son of Man is not to come to destroy man's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. 
hey, go to another village. If you go knock on someone's house and someone's mean to you, don't quit. Man, that's when to go hit the next couple houses. One down the street, that's the one that's going to get saved. Go to another village. By the way, they went to another village and it was all right. They found lodging. It was fine. They didn't have to go waste all this time uh, scraping grass all over that one lawn that just made them mad. Move on. Go to the next one. Go to another village. Those are some good lessons that Jesus tried to teach them. So the Son of Man didn't come to make us greater than others. The Son of Man didn't come to make us better than others. The Son of Man didn't come so we could destroy others. Why did the Son of Man come? Verse 56. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy man's lives, but to save them. But to save them. Jesus didn't come to destroy people's lives. Our flesh does that. Our flesh destroys people's lives. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. In order to prove that we're better or more righteous, our flesh is willing to destroy and break people in order to prove that we're better. We actually can cause people never to trust Christ because of the way that we treat people that we think is different. We could destroy people. Now, why was the disciples, why was their heart wrong? Why was their flesh up? The reason why their spirit wasn't right was a Bible problem. Jesus had tried to teach them that he was coming to die for others. In fact, notice just Luke chapter 9. And notice how many times Jesus tried to teach in this lesson just in this one chapter. Notice with me chapter 20. Or chapter 9 verse 20. Chapter 9 verse 20. And he said to them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answering said the Christ of God. And straightway he charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and scribes and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be risen, raised the third day. That's pretty clear. And they ignored it. Verse number 31. Who appeared in glory, speaking of Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. So there again, Moses and Elijah are talking in front of the disciples about what Jesus is going to do. His death, his decease. Notice with me in verse 44. And let these sayings sink down in your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. Boys, let me tell you what's going to happen. Notice the next verse. But they understood not the saying, and it was hid from them, and they perceived it not. And they feared to ask him that saying, Then there arose a reasoning among them, which one shall be the greatest. He just told them. And they ignored him and said, No, 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 no. That's good. Who's the greatest? They missed what he was trying to say. Notice once again in verse 51. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be re received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. This idea of received up carries the idea that he is going to be received in heaven. He's going to die. He knows he's going to die. And he's told his disciples over and over and over. And they ignored what Jesus said 
because they were more worried about themselves, thinking about themselves. The reason why their spirit wasn't right was a Bible problem. That they would not pay attention to the Bible, to the Word of God. And now their spirit is wrong. If we're going to have the spirit of Christ, there is a spirit of graciousness that we should have towards others. We can trust God to deal with people a lot better than we could do it ourselves. Our job is to show them a Savior who loves them no matter what. This idea of love is a big deal because God loved them. And if we're going to be like Christ, we should love them. They're going to have issues. Everyone has issues. And it's not the idea. The world likes to think about how great they are, how they're better than everyone else. Our thinking should be different. Who can we serve? Who can we be a blessing to? Who can we reach for the Lord? Who can we try to be a help? That's more of the spirit of Christ than the spirit of how good am I? How great am I? How wonderful am I? You offended me, now I'm going to kill you. That's not the spirit that Jesus had. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Now, Jesus' disciples had this flesh, this pride that kept coming up. How's your flesh been lately? How's your pride been lately? You say, I don't know. Okay, well then go to work tomorrow and check your spirit. Go home and check out your kids and check your spirit. Go home and see the mess that your husband's left and go check your spirit. Is your flesh rearing up? Now again, loving people doesn't mean letting things go. It's telling them the truth and pointing them up to the Lord. We got to have our definition of love. But Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Not to destroy people. Our flesh wants to destroy. It wants to get back at people. It wants to show those people that we're not to be messed with. And that's not the right spirit. So how is your spirit? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.